Welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast, where we empower you with the answers to your burning questions to accelerate your career into the sports industry. We are your hosts, Melbourne-based sports administrators, Ruben Williams and Ryan Walker. Join us as we share unique and personal examples as well as relatable information and deliver them to you in bite-sized, fluff-free episodes. Want to swipe our signature framework to add awesome experience to your resume? Download our free ebook, Four Steps to Create Outstanding Work Experience in Sport, at sportsgrad.com.au. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of our latest episodes released every Tuesday and Thursday. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ruben Williams, and with me, as always, is the effervescent Ryan Walker. How are you, Ryan? I'm fantastic, Rubes. Uh, it's a it's been a big week and a, a big week coming up, so I'm uh, I'm pumped. I, I think you can probably feel the energy coming from South Melbourne this morning. Um, but yeah, I, I'm doing fantastic and pumped for this episode. How how are you going? I'm good. I'm good. I can feel the bubbles coming off you, which is why the uh, adjective was appropriate this morning. But uh, <laughs> the BBL is coming up, and you're obviously involved in uh, cricket Australia still. What uh, what have been some of the things that have been gone in? for you in the lead up to the BBL? Uh, it's It's been, a, as you can probably imagine, quite hectic. Um, you know, obviously with all the challenges of, of COVID and all that kind of thing, it obviously took a little while for us to um, obviously figure out how the season is going to play out, which has been um, really sort of interesting to see how that pans out. But I guess um, leading up, we've sort of had limited time to sort of sort out all our um, well, from my point of view, sort of like all our um, partner signage, sort of ticketing requirements, HOSPI, um, you know, getting all our partner campaigns up and running in time for the season. So, it's, it's been very hectic um, the last few weeks. So, um, but also very excited for it just to kick off, which is which is the good thing. So, we can start to see all that work sort of pay off. So, yeah, it's been hectic, um, but stoked that it's starting now. Yeah, I bet. Well, this should be an interesting chat then as the uh, some former heads of Australian cricket combine. But uh, today, <laughs> we are talking with Nick Lorb about how to grow the largest social media following of any Australian sporting club. We're referring to the Brisbane Heat, of course. If you're, if you're listening for the first time and you're thinking, what is this show? Who are these two guys? The Sports Grad Podcast is your bite-sized guide to enter the sports industry. I myself am a graduate of Deakin University in Melbourne and Ryan is a graduate of Notre Dame Australia in Perth. A few years ago, we both made the jump into working at Cricket Australia together and now our aim is to help you do the same in whatever way, shape or form that may be in the sports industry. As we mentioned, the BBL starts later this week, which is why we've brought in a very special guest in Nick Lorb. Nick studied a Bachelor of Film, Television and New Media at Queensland University of Technology before going on to the Brisbane Heat as a media intern. Over the course of five and a half years, he has progressed into the position of digital marketing coordinator and now digital and social media manager. Nick's work includes the undercover announcement of A.B. de Villiers signing with the Brisbane Heat in 2019, one of the all-time great batsmen of the world, which involved Nick having to lie to his family and friends regarding his whereabouts in order for him to fly to South Africa for a week to cover the announcement. We will certainly uncover that story in full later, but firstly, Nick, welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ruben. Um, great to be here. I've been an admirer of what you guys have done over the last few months, so um, yeah, great to be on the podcast. Nick, uh, we've sort of asked this of a few guests. Uh, obviously, we're, we're in Melbourne, um, and you are lucky enough to, uh, to be in Brisbane. Um, how has that been over the last few months, especially, obviously, we'll talk, we'll focus on cricket today, but... How's it been having all the AFL up there and a bit of energy in the place? Um, yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, I feel for all of my mates um, down in Victoria, locked away, um, struggling to get outside. It's um, Queensland's been a, a buzz uh, so far this year. It's been brilliant. As an AFL fan myself, um, going to plenty of games, it's been awesome. Um, albeit the Crows, when they play at the Gold Coast, not performing too well. I'm an Adelaide supporter, but... Um, the grand final, the finals up here, um, it was sensational. Um, I was lucky enough to go to the grand final. Um, it was a great spectacle. Um, it definitely stacked up. I've been to a grand final at the MCG before, um, but the night grand final, the way that Brisbane did it, um, definitely being a buzz around the place um, with sport, uh, but also away from sport. Great weather, um, 
being able to go over and see your mates and that sort of stuff. Hopefully, you guys won't be too far away from doing the same. Obviously, uh, a bit of buzz about the grand final for mine would have come from Wolf Mother. We do, obviously, shout out to Wolf Mother. He'd be listening. But, yeah, um, yeah we, we spoke to Kevin Wilson from Richmond Footy Club and he sort of said it was he was sort of like neither here or there with the night grand final. But we sort of, I think, he was obviously working and you were spectating, so you would have been able to absorb it a bit more. But um, it'd be really keen. Oh, I'm really keen to see what that would look like at the G. Um, maybe a Twilight episode of the grand final, I would have thought. But, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I like the Twilight. Um, I'm a little bit of a traditionist in the sense that there's nothing better than that 2 o'clock sort of kickoff. Um, yeah. I mean, it's been like that forever, but, gee, after the, the show that we witnessed, um, and, and if it's Twilight, I mean, the, the halftime show, um, you know, you can you can have pyros, you can have effects, um, and you really open yourself up to, to a whole other audience. Um, and I guess everyone saw that with the broadcast numbers. Um, some people say it was because everyone was locked away in Victoria, but I, I tend to disagree with that. Um, I think a lot of people were watching just because of the spectacle that it was. It was a it was a huge spectacle indeed. The other massive spectacle, of course, is the Brisbane Heat up in Queensland, where you're currently working. Nick, firstly, can you share a bit about uh, some of your key responsibilities in, in your role at the moment, um, and maybe share a few examples from things you did in previous week? Yeah, no dramas. Um, I guess so. At the Brisbane Heat, um, I love the place. I love the club. Um, at the moment, I oversee all the social media and digital. So. Um, some key responsibilities there, um, I guess, content production, so ranging from graphic design, uh, general social content, integrated content with partners, um, plenty of production days, video production and the likes. Um, I guess social media strategy, so um, every channel has a different, I guess, feel about it, um, so continually to develop that. I guess some examples over the last couple of weeks um, and probably by the time this goes to air, um, it'll be announced that the, the hub, there'll be a big hub in Queensland for BBL. Um, so at this stage, there's about 10 or 11 games potentially. So that'll be announced next week. So preparing that, preparing how we announce that, um, combined with some exciting player announcements we've had over the last couple of weeks. Um, like Ryan said at the start, I guess Cricket Australia, Queensland Cricket, Brisbane Heat, probably six weeks worth, oh, sorry, six months worth of planning has really been condensed down to probably six weeks. So it's been around the clock at the moment and some things are, are sort of slipping by the wayside, but I guess it's those priorities at the top, making sure that we announce the fixture, making sure we you know, tickets are on sale and promoting our home games as much as we can. One thing we didn't mention is your own freelance work that you were doing before you started uni. Where did your interest for all things media and content begin? Um, very good question. And I'm not too sure how to answer it directly because... I guess before my internship, I was studying film and television as well as business at uni. Um, And it all started in high school. So I'm not too sure where. It might have been a couple of cheesy videos from my football club or from my basketball team at school. Uh, I think it started, we we did like an NBA-inspired hype video of us playing basketball or training basketball to try and get some fans to come and watch us play um, Padua College. Um, And maybe from then, it just sort of grew. and then. a teacher mentioned to me at school, they said, you know, you you seem to have a passion for creating this type of content. You know, you could actually, you know, go on to study that. You could actually make a career out of that. And I never thought I would go down. I mean, yes, I did want to be a creative, I guess, but never thought it was realistic, just making funny sort of videos. But I guess that's where it started and then developed over uni. I, I, I pushed hard with a lot of freelance work while I was at university. Um, and through that freelance work, I guess, met a couple of people um, who knew that there was an intern position going at the Brisbane Heat. Um, I always thought I'd end up in in football, to be honest, working maybe for the Lions or for the Crows. Um, but at the time, Brisbane Heat was the next best thing and I jumped to the opportunity to to start an internship there. Going back to sort of the, the hobby of, you know, curating your own little bits of content, I know a lot of people sort of often pick up hobbies and don't think it's a realistic career path to, to take. Were you ever, obviously, you might have had some doubts there, but were, were you ever in two minds as to whether like, yeah, I could actually go with this or should I just sort of stay safe from, you know, something else that you're doing? Um, it's a great question. I feel as if a lot of people have hobbies or want to pursue a creative sort of path 
however, there might be pressure from their parents or from their mates, you know, stick to a job that, uh, like, you know, accounting or um, being a physio or something like that, you know, where you're guaranteed work for, for a whole career. Uh, my parents were pretty supportive, um, especially my mum, which was great. So um, dad didn't have too much to say. He was just happy that I was having fun um, and he could see that I was starting to pick up work and, and get freelance uh, freelance gigs, I guess. Um, but yeah, I guess for anyone who, who has a hobby and doesn't think they can pursue it, like, yeah, I'd, I'd have to <laughs> disagree with their, their thinking because even as little as my girlfriend recently, she started doing art off the side. She's always been very artistic. Um, she started doing more of it, started doing more of it, and, and next minute um, she's now going to markets. She's selling a lot of her artwork um, and making some good money off to the side. So, yeah, I don't know. If, if you have a plan and you really like it, stick to it. Um, it's bound to pay off. Mm, I totally agree. And just to add to that, I was one of those people who was in two minds about following what I actually enjoyed versus going into the safe route, and I went down the safe route to begin with. I... Um, discarded my original thoughts of doing sport management and then thought about doing accounting and then thought, no, accounting sounds boring, so I'll do a marketing degree. And then got halfway through a marketing degree and decided this is no good, so I went back to sport management um, and should have just followed what I originally thought of the entire time. So uh, kudos to you for sticking to it the the entire way through. Oh, mate, how fun was accounting at uni? (laughs) I think I got 51%. I think it was the only subject where I didn't do too well and I scraped through yeah. by the skin of my teeth, th- 1% over. So I think I got 50%. Um, and shout out to Claire Rossiter, who was my uh, lecturer, really helped me out there, just got me over the line with that 50%. Um, yeah, that was, that was a tough unit. That was a tough unit. That and business law, I think, was a tough one. I don't know if you, you guys have done that unit sure. before. The one that got me, and I've still got a photo of this, was I got two fifties for macroeconomics and microeconomics, and I'm pretty sure they just pushed me through. I'm not sure how I managed to get fifty on the dot yeah. both of them, but anyway, maybe uh, I think it's almost group. like <laughs> for me that for me there's three graveyard units. There's the accounting, the business law, and then the quants. Did you go to is it quantitative methods? And I don't know if anyone listening ha- has done those units, but they are the graveyard units. Um, and I'm happy to make that call out uh, on the podcast today, Roos, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I think they're all 50s. Anyway, uh, we could talk all day about graveyard units. Um, so, you, <laughs> Nick, you mentioned um, one, one of your first experiences you had was was that internship with, with the Heat. Um, what role did your sort of own venture play in helping you get your foot in the door there? Um. Yeah, another great question. Um, I think I might have touched on it before, but essentially um, I was scrapping away, trying to trying to get any work I can. Um, I didn't necessarily care about the money while I was at university, so I was doing a lot of projects for free. Um, I was doing some documentaries um, and not getting paid for it. it was, money wasn't the, an issue at the stage while at uni. Um, but I guess it probably came down to one particular documentary I did with uh, a good mate of mine, Nick Harris, um, also another topic to talk about, doing a documentary with your best mates, great experience. Um, but we, we seem to seem to go um, pretty well with that, to be honest. Um, I guess it was, it was about nine months, um, almost full-time work on this documentary, and it really paid off in the end because I was able to meet a lot of people. Um, and like I said, um, the people I sort of met, not had an in, but they knew the type of people who they were looking for for this internship. Um, so when the internship was advertised on Facebook, I actually didn't follow Queensland Cricket on any social media channels at the time, but just got sent the the post. So it was as simple as that. And this guy's like, I've seen what you've done. Um, you seem like a good guy. I finished an internship here a couple of months ago. I reckon you'd be great for this internship. You should put your hand up for it. Um, so I applied for it. I remember being a nervous wreck thinking, crap, there's probably 50 people applying for this. They're all probably much more qualified than I am. Um, being a sort of video hack at the time, just making anything I possibly could. But, um, yeah, shout out to Pete Locke, who um, I still work with today, who gave me the opportunity. Um, And also Taylor Dean, who we actually got hired together. So they hired two. Um, I think they were looking for one, but they couldn't split between Taylor and myself. So I'm glad they didn't because um, Taylor is still my partner in crime to the day um, at the heat. What was uh what was the documentary about you mentioned just then? 
Yeah, the documentary, it was um, it was actually for depression and anxiety um, awareness. Um, so we got approached by um, a young filmmaker in, in Brisbane as well. Um, his name was Andrew Cripps, and he um, was going through some, some tough times, and he reached out to myself um, and wanted to see my availability if I could help him make something. Um, so it started like, uh, I guess, more about Andrew's story, and it slowly progressed into something a lot bigger. So um, I brought Nick my mate, as I mentioned before, on board as a producer. And we just started reaching out to, to sporting clubs like the Lions. Um, we actually reached out to the Heat, to the Broncos, to Channel 9. Um, we just try to cast a, a big web around Australian influences, I guess, um, at the time. So um, we had a great response from local radio stations and things like that, um, the Hit Network, that type of stuff. And we, we were able to get um, just everyday people uh, but with a bit of a following to talk about depression and anxiety. So a lot of the guests, I'd probably say 90% of the guests um, didn't have depression or anxiety at the time or might not have ever had it, but they were able to talk from just a general person's perspective on it. Um, I guess that, that we just wanted to cast a light on depression and anxiety uh, to bring down the stigma and do the best we can. Um, so, yeah, it's just something that I thought might have taken four weeks ended up taking nine months. Um, you know, just as we thought we were heading down a direction, we'd get a call and Wally Lewis was interested in being on it at all. You know, people from Channel 9 were interested in being on it. So, um, yeah, I guess I've never really had the opportunity to thank all the people who jumped on board and helped us out. Um, they took a chance and a couple of young kids at the time and um, I'm still very proud of what we are able to achieve probably, what are we now, maybe six or seven years ago. That's awesome. I think for you guys as two university students to, you know, have the – the, the confidence to reach out to all those people and to pursue a project, even though it's, you know, going well over the time frame that you imagined and to see it through has obviously paid off in, in the long run. So um, for anyone out there thinking about doing their own sort of thing in that space, um, sounds like it's absolutely worthwhile. But for you, you're now responsible for, for hiring interns and you mentioned a bit of the process that you went through to get that internship with Brisbane Heat. If you had to ask uh, one question of the people who you were hiring to make to base your selection off, what would that one question be to your future interns? Yeah, guys, you're not going to like me here because I couldn't think of one question. Um, <laughs> I guess to, to sum it up, um, the the mantra that, that good people, you just need good people around you. So um, we definitely at the Brisbane Heat, we've always had the mantra that we will hire the person over their qualifications. So we, we have hired um, in the last few months um, a fair few content creators to come on board, a couple of interns. So I've had many coffees over the last six months. And I guess what we look for is the type of person they are. Um, you can always sort of teach the skills. You can teach them how to do stuff. Um, you can help them develop. But if they don't have the right attitude to begin with, um, if there's any sort of ego attached, then they're not the right person. Um, and um, as, as the three of us all know, working in sport, you need to be pretty adaptable to, to chip in and help out in all different areas. So whether you whether we're looking for a content creator um, and that, that person might have an ego and they, they strictly just want to do content and when it comes to the morning of a match and we're running around putting up door signs and they don't want to help, then they're not the right person for the job. So sorry I couldn't help you out that one question, um, but maybe a couple of questions which which would help me find out whether they're, whether they're a good good person or not. No, no, that's that's equally helpful. Helpful because we uh, we harp on quite a bit about the importance of cultural fit. So for you to kind of support that and and to give evidence of it in action is is awesome for people listening. Validation, I guess, Rubes of our of our previous discussions, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. Yeah, and pay me later, boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you obviously have been pretty successful so far um, in your in, in working in sport so far in your career um, and have probably had a, a few other roles thrown your way in cert- at certain times. How have you sort of managed to make some of those big decisions um, surrounding like where, you, where your career is going and, and where you want to get to? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah, something I do feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about. Um, I guess I don't really want to come across as selfish or self-indulgent um, I guess the the Brisbane Heat as a team, um, there's been a fair few of us who have been approached by the sporting clubs over the years, um, especially over the last probably five or six years. Um, for me personally, I think when another job might come across um, your desk, I guess as such, um, it's really important to, to look at your three to five years, um, where you want to go to in your career. 
um, at the time there were some pretty enticing, some pretty enticing uh, job offers, and you know that could range from from one was uh, working with the Australian cricket team and spending nine months on the road with them. So, as a sport fanatic myself, as a cricket fan, that was gee, that was almost a dream come true to be honest to, to be able to do that. Um, it was very very enticing, but I guess you had to take a step back from these type of jobs. Um, you had to take a step back from moving into state and working for an AFL club and work out where do you want to go in your career. Um, so it was pretty simple for me in the end. After the, the always the first couple of days, it sounds very, very nice. But um, taking a step back and working out where do I want to go, what do I need to do to achieve where I want to go. Um, you know, for me particularly, it's going down that brand sort of route. I really like the work that gets done in that space. I've been doing a lot of it recently. so. For me to to um, to work out where I need to go, and just writing down pros and cons. So, is this job going to help me in the in the long run? Is this job going to help me in the short run? Yes, it'll be fun, but where where do I go from there? Like, is this going to help me with the the next job? Is this a step backwards in the overall um, big scheme of things? So, I hope that answers your question, Ryan. Sorry, I was a little bit awkward. Um, no, not yeah, at I don't all. really like talking about it too much, but but hopefully that helps the listeners out um with i guess that plan yeah no we i mean that's it's a great answer like we we always sort of chat about the three to five years instead of well i, I guess we were speak about sort of like what's the next one and not thinking too far ahead but also having sort of like a a, a little bit of an idea where you want to get to in a couple of years so um i think you you on the money like you sometimes and i mean I haven't been in your position, I will say, but like anytime you get, um, you obviously get job offers from anywhere else. I can imagine you, you would first of all think, great, like let's just jump on it and, and do it. Um, but I think you make a really great point there and just sort of stepping back and thinking about it, sort of what, what will that lead to as well? It's not just the, the now, what, what sort of the immediate opportunities that can come from that. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and once again, sorry for rambling on with the answer before, but. Um, yeah, it hasn't just been me. There's there's been a few of us um, who I guess maybe other clubs around the country have seen the potential results we've gotten um, and just, you know, put the call out. But we always sort of sit down. We, we help each other out too going through the process. Um, often we're not just keeping it to ourselves. Um, we're a very tight-knit group, um, have some great mates working at the Heat. So, um, and we're, we always have our best interests of each other, I guess, at heart. So helping each other go through that process together. I think just to add to what Ryan said, um, when you do have a bit of a vision of where you want your career to end up, it can act as a nice little framework for some of those tough decisions that you've got to make. Because as, as you said, like, and like Ryan and I are cricket, cricket tragics, and some, if someone said you're going to spend nine months of the year traveling with the Australian cricket team, filming Steve Smith and Mitch Stark and the rest of the guys, um, probably would have jumped at it. Um, but if you've got that, um, goal in mind of where you really want to head up and know where some of the other, you know, shiny objects are going to lead you down other paths, then that can kind of keep you on the right track. And um, I believe that the that role, I think, was um, uh, the position that ended up filming Virat Kohli in the nets at, at Adelaide that had that viral video that, that still goes nuts to this day, um, which is like it's awesome for that person doing that job now, but for you to kind of be comfortable doing what you're doing now, knowing that you're on the right path to where you want to want to be, um, is awesome for you to kind of be on that trajectory that you want to be. Yeah, thanks, Rubes. I, I did see that. Oh, I mean, everyone in the world saw that Virat Kohli video, um, and we won't name the guy who's in that job. I don't know if he wants to <laughs> wants to be named, but he's a terrific fella, and I still actually work pretty close with him. He's he's based up in Brisbane. Um, the, the bit of sweet moment, I guess, um, selfishly, was watching the test on the Amazon. So, for you listeners who haven't seen that, that's a great insight to um, an international sporting team. But um, I guess that role, we didn't know at the time, ended up filming a lot of that documentary, um, which would have been brilliant. But um, no regrets at all. Um, of course, the sport nuffy in me always, always would like to think about how that would end up. But, um, yeah, no regrets at all. I'm very happy with the career progression since then. Well, Nick, one, one of the great opportunities that you did get, which we'll talk about now, was the um, was one of the great all-time behind-the-scenes stories that, to ever come out of the, the BBL involving the great A.B. de Villiers, the South African batsman, of course. 
And um, to add a bit of context to this, at the time, AB de Villiers has said to a whole bunch of different BBL clubs, no, nah, I'm not coming to the Big Bash. And noise kind of went, the, you know, the noise around him kind of went quiet for a period of time. And then all of a sudden, he comes out publicly and there's a massive announcement saying AB de Villiers has signed with, with the Brisbane Heat. And there's this, you know, he's standing there in a Brisbane Heat kit. He's somehow still over in South Africa. People have had to go over to do it. You were the one responsible for producing that announcement, which involved uh, an incredible amount of secrecy. I believe a few legal documents were signed to, to keep quiet. You had to do an undercover trip over to South Africa and had to have a bit of a shady conversation with your girlfriend as well to explain why you'd be absent for a week. Can you explain a bit about what happened with uh, with that AB de Villiers announcement? Yeah, so um, oh, it, was a, it was a great time. Um, and there, it wasn't just myself, Rubes. There was there was a few of us. Um, so uh, there was a few people. We you, we called it brought into the tent. So um, there was at one stage there was probably three people in the world um, between our general manager, obviously AB and his manager. So there wasn't too many people. And then one by one, a few of us got brought into the tent. So there was three of us who went over to South Africa. So it was a very very much a collective effort. So um, I don't want to sit here and take all the credit for how we pulled that off there was a lot of people helping out um when i say a lot only a few <laughs> but um yeah it was a great experience it it was something that um i don't know on the australian sporting landscape if people many people will be able to experience um it was it was pretty strict um there was a lot of non-disclosure agreements signed um a lot of pressure on it um and very tricky very tricky to pull off um but i'm excited we did it it's great to look back and and talk about it. Um, I guess there was no one to talk about it with apart from one or two people for a couple of months there. And then when he was announced, it was so close to our season starting that we never really got a time to we've got time to sit back and reflect about what we just did. So um, yeah, happy to answer any questions about it um, now that I can talk about it. Well, firstly, what what did you tell you, your friends, your family, your <laughs> girlfriend when you said I'm disappearing for a week? <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> Hopefully this is interesting to you listeners because it is very self-indulgent. But um, if everyone could put themselves in my shoes, it was pretty funny how it all played out, I guess. The first cap off the rank was my girlfriend. Um, we had just bought a house together and I'm talking about like the week oh. <laughs> when I found out. And we've gone, I've, I was really I was really romantic, guys. I'm really romantic. So I took her out on a date night at a place called Eat Street Markets. Which is, for all the people in Brisbane, it's, it's a great place to take, take someone on a date. Um, and I sat her down. I didn't have the balls to say it for the first hour or sat two. Her and down. I ended up buying. I'm like, we were like ready to go, and I'm like, all right, let's just go get some more dessert. <laughs> I need it. And then so I was like, all right, Taryn, this is going to sound really weird, but please don't ask too many questions because I don't have the answers to it. I said, um, I'm not allowed to tell you any detail. I'm going away for work for probably five days. I can't tell you where. I can't tell you when. I can't tell you where, you know what I mean? Like, I can't tell you why. Um, and, oh, my God, the look in her face, she was like, what? Like, how can you not tell me? And I'm like, I have, I've had to sign a legal document. I can't tell you anything. I'm so sorry. Please trust me on this. Um, and for, for all the girlfriends out there, um, when, you, when you sort of get that, that uh, sentence, I guess, or something explained to you, like, you could just see the wheels in her head just spinning, like, what's going on? And I, I couldn't give her any answers. So that was the big one. Um, I wasn't allowed to tell my family. Um, it was my younger brother and sister who are twins. It was their 21st in that week. Um, and we're a very tight-knit family. So uh, for me to miss their 21st and for them to not know why um, was pretty brutal. So um, we also had a lot of family from South Australia travelling up. Um, there was also a couple of little... Um, not too important, but um, a couple of little events with my group of friends too. Like we're going to the pub. I think it was yeah, someone's birthday. Big week. It was a big week, and my Huge house, week. My house was settling. My house was settling on the Wednesday. House, so, friends, events. Yeah, twenty first. Yeah, that's like one of the great weeks of all time, mate. Mate, <laughs> and plus then, plus trip to South Africa yeah. and a trip to South Africa. Sorry, oh, I missed that. God. So the the lies. Um, I've never, I've never really lied too much ever, unless I've had to, and <laughs> I had to, <laughs> I had to lie. So my family knew a different story to what my girlfriend knew, to what people at work knew. So we didn't even talk about 
people at work thinking I was going away. So I told them I was going camping in South Australia on my, on the farm with no reception. So don't contact me. I told my friends, uh, I think I told my friends the same thing. I was going um, camping with family in South Australia. However, it was a bit, it was funny when, um, when I arrived back, my younger brother and sister had their 21st birthday party and family from South Australia were up. I had some of my mates who thought I was in South Australia at the event. I had my girlfriend, I had my family. And like I said before, everyone thought of like knew a different story. They were all in the same room at the one time. And we had about another four days to go until we were allowed to announce AV. Um, and I remember one conversation, someone's like, oh, how's camping? I'm like, oh, great. And my cousin's right there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, camping was great. He's like, oh, it was great to see your family. I'm like, yeah. And then my cousin was like, because they thought I went to Sydney for work. My family thought I was in Sydney for work. And they're like, gee, you've, you've like, tangled you know, yourself here. I thought you were camping. Yeah, mate. Oh, it was, um, yeah, it's not advisable to. It's a, that's a web of lies if I've ever seen one. Oh, it was, it was messy. It was messy, all just because of an announcement of a cricket player. Um, well, it's AB's a- fault. He's. He's done uh, it to you. Yeah, unfortunately, Abraham. No, he's a great bloke. Abraham. Yeah, it was a, it was a very it was a very tricky week. A very tricky week. Is Abe still um, on the heat list, or is he? He's played and he's done. Uh, no, he as much as we want him to be here. He, he um, earlier in the year he'd agreed to come. Um, however, yeah. essentially due to COVID, so um, the. The um, border restrictions and the quarantining. He's also got a newborn due very soon, so very tricky for him to come. Um, as much as he would like to be here, as much as we would love to have him back, so um, we'll see what the future holds. But um, he's very keen on returning until that. Uh, that sounds very well rehearsed, and given what we've just heard, I'm not sure we can believe you, Nick. So I look forward to seeing AB Davilius back in the, the BBL. Yeah, this year I think you've point. got a camping trip this weekend that you're <laughs> heading to, and um, yeah, well, it's, it's don't know if you're actually going or not. Well, every time. So if I'm going away, my workmates just look at me and roll their eyes. They're like, come on. And then I think when I come back, even if I go like a dead set go away on a holiday, if I don't come back and there's no good news about an international signing, I think they're like let down. <laughs> like, oh, so you didn't actually go away to, to bring back Chris Gale or something. I don't know. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you explain to explain to AB De Villiers what he had put you through? <laughs> well, he was a great bloke. Um, I actually... Uh, Time was short with him. There was a lot to get done when we were with him in South Africa. Um, he's a great guy. He was very good with his time. Um, over a couple of beers um, when he was here, I definitely told him that he put me through the ringer and told him a few stories, which he found very funny. I think, yeah, <laughs> I think he apologised to – we had a, a staff function and he apologised to a couple of my friends at work who, who were annoyed that I lied to him. So he was really good about it. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't just me as well. There was – the three people I went with, they all had different stories for their uh, friends and family, for their colleagues as well. It's just coincidental that two people in the office went away for the exact same time <laughs> on holidays. Um, everyone's going to look into that for, for forever now. Um, if two people are at the same time, what are they doing? In terms of the, the work side of things, when, when you get on the ground in South Africa, what, what are the kind of main tasks that you're there to do? Um, I guess there was a lot of pre-planning. So it was very difficult for the few of us who went because we had our normal jobs to do um, and we had probably a month of planning um, to achieve. So um, there was a lot of hours put in. We had everything needed to be planned down um, to the millimetre with how we'd execute it there. So from the time we landed, um, it was very late at night. We needed to go back to the hotel, jet lagged. But we woke up the first thing the next morning. We had to organise equipment hire. Like we couldn't really take over too much gear. Um, so we had to organise with a very shady well, – South Africa is shady in the, uh, with how they deal about many things in the first instance, but um, we had to <laughs> go to um, – like, can, can we say that? <laughs> I don't know if we can say that. <laughs> I was definitely referring to how you how you buy things over there. It's very, Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought you meant. Yeah. yeah. In um, terms of equipment and, you know – In terms of equipment. Like the, <laughs> yeah. we, we rocked up and it was the back of someone's house almost. Um, with all the equipment there, and you just didn't know if the equipment you were buying <laughs> was legit um, or if it was broken or anything. Um, so, yeah, sorry to all the South Africans out there. I was definitely referring to the process of purchasing stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, no, we, we understood what you meant. It's all good. Oh, awesome. Mm. Thanks, Ryan. We, we, um, do have, we do have a large contingent of South African listeners, so they'll, yeah. they'll be happy, no doubt. Awesome. <laughs> well, if my girlfriend, who's actually from Zimbabwe and South Africa, is listening or her family, I apologise, and I'll bring over a bottle of wine. 
Um, <laughs> nah, they'll <laughs> yeah, be listening. So, yeah, well, sorry. Back back to your question, Ruben. Sorry to digress. Um, it, it had to be planned out. Um, every every second we were there, we uh, apart from when we'd go to the pub and and have a, have a feed. I guess every other second there was a reason uh, for what we were doing. So the planning, the testing, um, there's only one opportunity we got to to take pictures and videos of of AB in till. So um, yeah, it was very planned. It was very structured. Um, before we before we landed and then it was just hoping that you know the things we needed delivered or the things we were picking up were there on time um, we didn't get ripped off that type of thing now nick i had a bit of mail come across my desk earlier this week um and it was around sort of a, a certain issue with your luggage um i'm not going to obviously tell the listeners what it's about now but i'd love you to explain a certain issue that happened when, when you arrived in south africa well, I think I know the person who's tipped you off there and shout out to them because thank you for tipping me, <laughs> suggesting that. It was actually him who um, had the main issue. So I guess we landed and it was a day of chaos um, in Australian aviation. There was really bad wind in Melbourne. So thanks, guys, you Melbournians. But there was really bad wind and um, all the flights between Sydney and Melbourne and then consequently Brisbane were all stuffed up. So um, it was an absolute mission to get on our flight from Sydney um, to Johannesburg. Um, we were travelling with someone from Cricket Australia from Melbourne. Um, he missed that flight, so it was very chaotic for him. We were <laughs> we were somewhere over the ocean flying to South Africa, and he was trying to organise a flight to, to South Africa through Singapore or something. But um, when we landed, because of all of the chaos, we didn't have our baggage with us, um, and someone someone always told me, pack a spare pair of clothes and you carry on. And I don't know why, with everything else going on, that was the last thing on my mind. So we rocked up to South Africa. We're a nervous wreck. We've been sweating on the plane, um, just <laughs> worried about what's going to eventuate. And so um, Pete, um, the guy from the Heat I was with, good mate of mine, um, he was extra nervous than me. So he was sweating up a storm when we landed. And then we had nothing to sleep in. We had our Qantas pyjamas, which we could use. But then you can't really walk around in your Qantas pyjamas the next day, you know, to go to the shop. So we had the same clothes for the first probably oh, day or two. And then we had to go buy clothes. Um but we were setting up probably, I think it was the night before, oh, the afternoon before AB came and our clothes stunk. And I think we like stunk out the room. Um, it was fairly hot over there. <laughs> we had to go shopping for new clothes. So I think the, the jeans I still wear to the day, um, uh, thanks to Queensland Cricket's credit card over in South Africa. Um, but, yeah, it was a very funny story. It was it was unfortunate we didn't have our, have our luggage with us and um, also cameras which were in that luggage. Well, We'll keep the, the tip-off contact anonymous for now. Um, but, no, some good mail there. I'll tell him not to listen. Yeah. <laughs> sounds, sounds like you guys had a very stressful week on, on all fronts, things planned and things unplanned. And the mention of um, uh, bad wins in, in Victoria just reminded me of sitting next to Ryan Walker every day at Cricket Australia. But um, we'll talk about that another time, surely. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm unsure what, what you're – what you're referring to or, or trying to assert there, uh, Roos. <laughs> What's your policy, guys, on um, spraying deodorant in the office? Uh, uh, do it in the bathroom. Bathroom? Okay. Yeah. The, the only real, when I've sort of seen it, is after Ruben has a two-hour lunch break and goes for a run and comes back and has a shower and, oh, wow, it's 3.30. So that's the only really time I've seen <laughs> deodorant be sprayed in the office. Um I go the roll on, to be honest. If if okay. like that needs to happen, um, but yeah, Nick, uh, let's going back to your your role now. We've we've really sidetracked here. We've 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 talked all things South Africa and and sort of high winds, all those kind of things. But talking about the the Brisbane Heat socials and um, obviously it's had you've had a bit of success with it over the last few years, which is which is awesome. How um how's it different to, to other BBL clubs and how does it sort of stack up with, with other sporting clubs in Australia and what are the what are sort of like the numbers you guys are producing? Um yeah, thanks again, Ryan. Um I guess Brisbane Heat social media, we've had we have had some success over the last few years. Um, you know, some people have their theories why. Um I know in house we have some theories why um we've gone uh well. Compared to other BBL clubs, I guess each each BBL club has their own type of identity. They have their own uh, brand. They have their own goals. Um, 
I guess, in-house what we've developed at the Brisbane Heat in terms of where we want to go, our, our mission statement and the like, um, has really been effective on social media. So I guess ultimately we want to bring families together at the Brisbane Heat um, and we also want to make cricket cool again. So bringing families together on social media and making cricket cool again, you're able to do some pretty cool content. And I guess that's probably the catalyst to a successful social media following is the content you're able to produce. Um, it helps having some big-name players come and play for us um, with good followings and then um, – I guess also their um, their acceptance of us getting up close and personal with them while they're at the club. So um, the likes of Baz, um, Baz McCullum, who was always open for us doing whatever we'd like around him. Um, Linny is always very open to doing stuff. So I guess that access and insight um, makes for good content. Um, other BBL clubs do a great job. Um, they they have certain certain agendas they want to push and they do a great job doing so. Um I guess we're just fortunate that that our strategy we're able to get um, some good numbers. Um, but yeah, hats off to all the other other BBL clubs. Um, we're sort of a yeah, funny little bunch when we get together. Um, but yeah, we're all we're all very passionate about our clubs, and um, I have great respect for for what they do. And just a, a follow up question, and for those listening who um, probably want to know more about your role, um, sort of in a sanctum, but. Um, how closely in your role, you mentioned getting access to players and, and all that um, is, is obviously really important. How sort of significant or how much do you sort of work with the team performance guys at the Brisbane Heat? Obviously, you're going to work really closely to make sure you can get that content. So, is a bit of insight you can you can give the listeners around what that looks like within your role? Yeah, for sure, mate. I guess um, casting my mind back to my first season and a very standoffish and, oh, my God, that's a Brisbane Heat player and, oh, my God, that's the coach um, and hesitating to go and approach them to do something compared to now, fast-forwarding. Um, I, I get asked this a lot. Um, I guess what I put it down to is just growing relationships with the players and the staff. So from our team manager to our coach, um, to our physios, to our strength and condition guys, um, like I get not just me but our whole team have a great relationship with all of those staff members. Um, so Queensland Cricket and the Brisbane have done a great job um, helping those relationships grow. But um, I guess spending time on the road with the team has re- really helped with with the closeness I have with players. Um, and, I mean, you know, going for a feed or going to have a couple of beers when you're on the road with the staff and the players, you sort of feel a part of the team. Uh, that relationship developing over over multiple years now, um, it's, it's gotten to a point where we're all pretty good mates. So if we ask a favour of a player, they're happy to oblige. They know that we have their best interests at heart. We're never going to um, do something that they sh- don't want to do or we're ne- never going to paint them in a bad light. So um, having that great relationship has made my job so much easier. And probably you, you're talking about the numbers stacking up before. It's, it's probably a key reason why um, we do get good engagement is because our players are more than happy to do stuff for us. So um, I get asked a fair bit um, talking to other clubs, social teams um, about that. And, yeah, it's just growing relationships is, is key uh, with players and staff. Nick, you mentioned part of your approach is making cricket cool again. What does some of the strategy behind this look like at a, a deeper level, if, if you're able to share that? You know, what sort of the type of content that makes cricket cool again or how often a week do you have to post to make cricket cool again and how does that change throughout the year? Yeah, I definitely can't take credit for that one-liner. Um, that was a mantra of our former general manager, Andrew McShay. Um, but looking back, um, it's our 10th season this year, so we we, we found some decks um, of, I guess, when the Brisbane Heat was being established and the type of things they were trying to do. And, and the big one was bring families together and make cricket cool again, which we've always lived by, but definitely had a focus on that this summer, um, or sorry, this season. Uh, what are some things which can make cricket cool again. I guess we're an entertainment brand, so um, we we like to consider ourselves an entertainment brand that's more than just a sporting team. Um, we have a whole lot of different facets to what we do, which enables us to not just um, make mundane content. If we were just a sporting team focused on this um, and it was just highlights and it was just training and it was just nets over and over, like that's not going to grow your audience. Um, particularly with cricket, you have a lot of traditionalists and a lot of cricket nuffies like myself who will tune in, but you're not going to attract your females. You're not going to attract um, your, your new fans. You're not going to attract kids. So anything where we can um, 
have, you know, say, say a young girl who's eight, if we put up content, which she finds funny and she's laughing, then that's brilliant because then if we do another video, she might become a fan. Um, if we're able to attract a 14-year-old kid who, who might have played cricket in primary school and hasn't played cricket for a while, but we're able to do a really interesting or funny video, he might laugh, show his friends, you know, the, 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 the word spreads. So um, having that focus on families, having that focus on people who might not be cricket fans um, helps us make <laughs> try to make cricket cool again as such. Um, and just on that, um, sorry, Ruben, to interrupt, I guess we don't actually use the word cricket. It, it does seem weird me saying the word cricket talking about my job. Um, we make a conscious effort, um, or it doesn't take any effort anymore to u- not use the word cricket. We, um, we use the word BBL, we use the word entertainment. Um, cricket has a lot of stigma attached to it. And I guess part of the reason for the BBL strategy 10 years ago was to, to go away from that and to attract a new audience. So we consciously um, don't use the word cricket. Yes, we are technically a cricket team, um, but we're a BBL team or an entertainment brand. That's awesome. That's that's really, really interesting. Um, and just final follow-up to that, what what are some of the numbers that are coming out? You know, how many video views a year? We mentioned you guys are the largest kind of combined social following of any Australian sporting club. Um, how big is that and who, who's second? How far are you guys ahead? Um, I haven't looked at the numbers for a while, Ruben. Um, not since uh, we did our off-season reporting after last BBL season, but... Um, yeah, there's some great clubs who are up with us, um, the likes of the Brisbane Broncos, Collingwood, uh, Melbourne Storm. Those type of clubs um, get some great results. Um, in terms of video views, um, have I have seen over the last year or two video views really skyrocket. I guess Facebook Watch, um, even things like Instagram TV, they, they're starting to become mini YouTube channels. So I know if you guys, personally, I get stuck every now and then on Facebook and it's sort of like the YouTube of old where, I mean, it, lately it's been a lot of Joe Biden stuff or just random and, or, or at, you know, whatever's topical and you've watched five videos about it and you're like, hold up, why? Why did I get stuck down this rabbit hole? Um, from a social media manager point of view, it's great because because your numbers continue to grow and you continue to get more people engaging in video views. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely in the multi-millions um, of video views. I think oh, it's a little bit of insight. I hope I don't regret giving this away, but... I think maybe it was the season before last we had about 19 million video views in total uh, for the year across all channels. Um, and I think that may have gone up by a couple of hundred or a few hundred percent uh, over the last 12 months, which goes to show, I guess, the power of the, the social channels and, and getting people glued to uh, watching videos. The Perhaps the power of Lynn Sanity as well. Um, just absolutely sending balls out the, uh, out the stadium as well. Probably played a role there. Um, which is awesome, um, Nick. Finally, not, not, not to discount, not to discount from the great work that you and the team. No, are, Nick. no, no, of course not. And yeah, by no means. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said that. Sometimes we just set the camera up and watch Linny hit it out the park at training. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes the content, which is the easiest to produce, uh, goes the best. Um, yeah. So shout out to Linny. Um, got a great relationship with him and he continues to help us get yeah. good engagement. Shout out to Chris. He'll he'll be tuning in, I'm absolutely certain. Um, Nick, finally, you, you're a social gun. Um, obviously, you couldn't do your role without being uh, a social gun. So you're probably better placed than, uh, than anyone to share your opinion on this one. But say you're running your or running the social media account for your local cricket club, what's one or two content ideas that you would be implementing to grow the engagement amongst the club? Yeah, great question. Um, first of all, we, we have a gun team. Um, we have a gun social media team with great graphic designers and video team. So um, very much a team approach there. But Very modest. Question, yeah, to answer your question, um, I guess it's if, – if, if there is someone like, you know, running the socials for a local cricket club, um, it's easy just to think of the cream on, on top of the cake straight away. Like – what video is going to go the best or, you know, how can we get a thousand views on this video where you probably have to take a few steps back and work out what the club's trying to achieve first. So while the club has social media, what they're trying to achieve with it, are they trying to get more players? Are they trying to um, help their sponsors out um, who might help that club? So understanding that first before then thinking about the content. Um, if let's just talk about, um, oh, let's pretend my suburb I live in Aspley had a cricket club. Um, so Aspley Cricket Club, they had a couple of teams. They were trying to get a lot of people on board, a lot of kids on board to start playing for them. 
um, my suggestion would be to do a lot of engaging content, which which kids love. So, for example, um, Instagram Reels and TikTok. Um, my advice would be just for them to go um, really hard with that type of engaging content. If it was a more serious cricket club and they wanted to, and their sponsors were very traditional and they wanted, um, you know, their first grade team to to bat along, they wanted to get good scores, they wanted to win premierships. You, you could probably look at more cricket heavy content, um, you know, filming a lot in the nets, um, cutting up quick videos of their star players or their top order batsmen, um, you know, batting in the nets. Um, and then if your club's lucky enough to be have their games live streamed, um, having that rhythm or consistency of, of cutting together highlight packages, um, you know, a lot of people aren't going to sit there and watch a whole day's worth of stream cricket. But if you're able to pull together the best bits, you're going to, you're going to engage that audience, which you might be looking to. Awesome. That is some great advice for all those students out there who are running the social counts of their cricket clubs this season. We're going to wrap it up there, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been awesome to hear about some of the early experience that you created for yourself with that nine-month-long documentary that led you into uh, the internship of the the Brisbane Heat and then to see what you've been able to do over the last five and a half years and, and progress and hear about some of the behind-the-scenes action that goes on, including announcing players like A.B. De Villiers and lying to your girlfriend and friends and family and all that was extremely interesting. And then to hear how, you know, some of your um, – you know, tougher career decisions have been made, but knowing that you've got faith in, you know, where you're headed and knowing where you're headed and, and why you're heading there as well has been um, really valuable for those who are looking to make some of those similar decisions with their career. And then to top it off, you know, the strategy behind what you're doing with the Brisbane Heat Socials is, is super interesting. And there's a lot of kind of key practical takeaways for people to implement it at a grassroots level where there are a lot of opportunities for, for people who listen to this podcast. So thanks again for coming on and sharing insight with us. No, you guys, you're too kind. Um, yeah, like I said at the start, I'll continue to be admirer for what you guys have done and I'll continue to listen. Um, great banter on some of the episodes. So I don't know where mine will stack up, but um, yeah, glad to help and, and, and glad to help out with anyone who's trying to get in the sporting industry. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. A reminder to please subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Please drop us a rating and leave us a review. It really does mean so much and helps us put together the show for you with more sensational guests such as Nick. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the SportsGrad podcast. If you need help with your sports career, head to sportsgrad.com.au and download our free ebook today. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please give us a tag on socials at SportsGrad. 